Recently, someone asked me how advanced study in philosophy has affected my faith. And without any hesitation, I said that my faith had only been encouraged in the process and that I've come out the other end with a deeper faith than when I began. And this came as a surprise to the individual that I was speaking with because he assumed that deep intellectual engagement would inevitably lead to doubt or to a crisis of belief. And I think many people share this general assumption that intellectual pursuit is dangerous for the Christian soul. There's a fear that too much worldly wisdom or secular learning will lead to doubt, that science and philosophy in particular are antithetical to faith. And look, I understand why people think this way. I mean, it seems today that experts in every academic discipline are making claims that seem to be at odds with Christianity. And this seems especially true in the fields of philosophy and science. Philosophers today seem to be in the business of doubting and criticizing everything that we hold dear. And I think there's a general feeling in our society that science and faith are at war with each other. But I'm convinced that deep intellectual engagement is actually good for the Christian soul. Cultivating your intellect can actually reinforce and fortify your faith. In fact, I think that this is one of the most important benefits of pursuing a life of the mind. Engaging your mind for Christ is one of the very best ways to strengthen your faith. Sometimes I think that Christians tend to forget something critically important. All truth is God's truth. This is not hard to see, since truth is simply the mind's conformity to reality, and since all that is real has been created by God, all truth, wherever it is found, is from God. So when the philosopher infers something that is true about the nature of reality, that's God's truth. And when the scientist discovers some new aspect of the physical world, that's God's truth. When the historian uncovers some new event from the past that really happened, that's God's truth. There is no sacred secular divide when it comes to what is true. It's all sacred. It's all from God. All truth is God's truth. And from the very beginning, Christian theologians have recognized two books of God's revelation to mankind. On the one hand, there's scripture, which theologians have called special revelation, and then there's nature, which theologians have referred to as general revelation. Now, by nature or general revelation, what is meant here is knowledge of God that's revealed in creation. Since God is the cause of the universe, which includes rational beings like us, the universe and everything in it reflects back to him in some way. That is to say that creation will in some way bear the marks of the creator. The effect will in some way be like its cause. So when we think deeply about the nature of reality as we do in philosophy, or when we explore the nature of the physical world as we do in science, or when we study the consciousness uh, of human beings as we do in psychology, we are in all of this considering the works of the creator.
And this means that none of these areas of study can possibly be in and of themselves antithetical or hostile to the Christian faith. Now, of course, people working in these various fields can come up with theories and ideas that are contrary to faith, but we can be confident that when properly understood and practiced, these various fields of study will never contradict the truth of Christianity, but will only reinforce it. And as Christians, we can have this confidence because Scripture and nature have the same source. They have the same author. When properly interpreted and understood, the two sources of revelation will never be in conflict. Now, notice I said when properly interpreted and understood. This is important because it's possible for us to make mistakes when it comes to interpreting both the book of nature and the book of scripture. Christians should therefore not be afraid to pursue knowledge wherever it can be found. In fact, since we believe that all truth is from God, I think that Christians should be the most enthusiastic pursuers of the truth. And this is why, in my estimation, Christianity has produced the very best philosophers. Moreover, I think it can be argued that Christianity was a primary driver for the rise of the scientific revolution. Virtually every one of the fathers of modern science were devoted Christians who studied nature precisely because they expected the universe to be intelligible. And they expected the universe to be intelligible because it was created by an intelligent being. So these men eagerly sought to understand nature as an expression of their Christian faith and worship. They were driven by a passion to uncover the mysteries of the natural world so as to reveal the glory of the Creator and to come to understand, as far as was possible, the very mind of God. Isaac Newton, probably the greatest scientist who has ever lived, is representative of this perspective among the founders of modern science. In the general scolium to his Principia, probably the most important scientific treatise ever written, he writes, quote, The most beautiful system of sun, planets, and comets could only proceed from the counsel and dominion of an intelligent and powerful being. All that diversity of natural things which we find suited to different times and places could arise from nothing but the ideas and will of a being necessarily existing, end quote. Newton was convinced that uncovering the mysteries of the natural world would encourage men to believe in the Creator, and this became the motivation for his own scientific work. In a letter to a friend, he writes, quote, When I wrote my treatise about our system, I had an eye upon such principles as might work with considering men for belief of a deity, and nothing can rejoice me more than to find it is useful for that purpose, end quote. Like Newton, most scientists of the day believed that deep intellectual engagement, and especially the study of nature, was a matter of Christian intellectual stewardship and responsibility. It was an expression of their commitments and worship. And many believed that their scientific endeavors would commend the faith to those who did not believe, and would reinforce the faith of those who did. And I think they were right rational reflection on the nature of reality and, and scientific inquiry of the physical universe can be extremely faith-building experiences. 
Now, I understand that this is a sentiment that goes against the modern secular view of things. For the last couple hundred of years, at least, I think that the general secular assumption has been that as our knowledge of the universe advances, religion would retreat, that modern science would be the end of faith. But this is not how things have played out at all. I think, in fact, that our scientific understanding of the universe is today more friendly to belief in God than it has ever been since the rise of the scientific revolution. So let me give you two dramatic examples of way in which the latest advances in cosmology, astronomy, and physics in particular has made the inference uh, to God from nature even stronger today than it was in Newton's day. The first is related to the origin of the universe. 150 years ago, the scientific consensus was that the universe was eternal, that it, it has always existed. And so nobody worried about the universe needing a cause of its coming to be. This view was referred to as the steady state model, since it postulated a universe that has always been, and one that never began. Yet today, the scientific consensus has completely changed, and virtually nobody believes in the steady state model anymore. And this is because many independent lines of evidence from physics and astronomy have converged on a truly remarkable discovery. Our universe has not always existed, but it came into being a finite time ago. The term for this model of the universe, the Big Bang, is somewhat misleading because it evokes an image of the universe exploding into being within some kind of container of space and time. But the theory is far more radical than this image suggests. Because according to the Big Bang, everything came into being with the universe. And that includes matter and energy, it includes space and time. And this means that before the Big Bang, there was literally nothing. There was no thing. In fact, technically there wasn't even a before since time itself came into being with the universe. Now the implication of this discovery is not hard to see. If the universe began to exist a finite time ago, then reason seems to demand that there be a cause for its coming to be. The logic here is inescapable, and we can easily formulate it into a deductive argument. Premise one, whatever begins to exist has a cause. Premise two, the universe began to exist. And therefore, conclusion, the universe has a cause. And because matter, space, and time all came into being with the universe, whatever caused the universe to be has to be immaterial, spaceless, timeless, and exceedingly powerful. The idea that the universe came into being a finite time ago fits beautifully with the very first line of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The fact that our most advanced scientific understanding of the universe is that it came into being from nothing is incredible all on its own. But over the last 50 years or so, we've discovered something else about the universe that is just as astonishing. Our universe appears to have been fine-tuned for the existence of life. Over the last several decades, cosmologists have discovered that life in this universe exists on a razor's edge. 
that things have to be just right for us to be here. It seems that nature's numbers, which compromise the very structure of the cosmos, have been delicately balanced for the existence of life to a degree of precision that is literally beyond the ability of the human mind to comprehend. As it turns out, the various constants of the universe, represented by the forces of nature like gravity, electromagnetism, the strong and weak nuclear force, and the different quantities of the universe, such as uh, the masses of the electrons, protons, and neutrons, must all be independently and exquisitely fine-tuned if the universe is to be life-permitting rather than life-prohibiting. And if any one of these variety of constants and quantities of the universe differed in their values by even a hair's breadth, none of us would be here. If, if gravity were just slightly stronger or weaker than it is, or if the mass density of the universe was uh, adjusted by the tiniest of increments, life in the universe becomes impossible. A helpful way to visualize the fine-tuning of the universe is to imagine a universe-making apparatus that consists of dozens of massive dials, with each dial representing a different fundamental constant or quantity of the universe. What scientists have discovered is that in order to have a life-permitting universe, in order to even have a universe with chemistry, each of these dials needs to be set at an extraordinarily precise value. And if any one of these dials are offset by the slightest degree, the universe would be life prohibiting. Now, where my illustration here breaks down is in the scale of the range of possible values that these fundamental constants and quantities could have given the laws of nature. Each of my dials here only has 100 possible settings or increments. However, to accurately represent the possible ranges of these values, would require dials with an unimaginably high number of possible settings or increments. Consider, for example, just one of these constants, the so-called cosmological constant. This is the recently discovered dark energy in the universe. In order for the universe to be life-permitting, this constant has to be fine-tuned to a precision of one part to 10 to the 120th power. That's a 10 with 120 zeros behind it. Having an accuracy of one part to 10 to the 120th power is like shooting an arrow from one side of the universe and hitting a one inch bullseye on the other side of the universe 46 billion light years away. Or if you stretched a tape measure across the entire universe, the life permitting range for the value of the cosmological constant would fall within a section of that tape that is less than one inch long. This is a level of fine tuning that is orders beyond the human ability to duplicate or even the mind's ability to comprehend. And remember, this is just one of a couple of dozen constants and quantities that need to be finely tuned for us to exist. And more of these are being discovered all the time. Newton believed that the order and harmony of the universe that was being discovered in his own day was an unmistakable mark of the creator. We now know that this ordered cosmos came into existence from nothing a finite time ago, and that it has been exquisitely fine-tuned for the existence of life. The theological implications of these cosmological discoveries 
have not been missed on all in the scientific community. In his fascinating little book, God and the Astronomers, the late American astronomer and leading NASA scientist Robert Jastrow, who, by the way, was both an agnostic and a materialist, ends his book with an astonishing admission. He writes, quote, For the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountain of ignorance. He's about to conquer the highest peak. As he pulls himself over the final rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries, end quote. What is true in the discipline of science also holds true in other academic disciplines as well. For example, we're currently in the midst of an ongoing revival of theism in Western philosophy, and this is something I've spoken about in a previous episode. And historians today have been engaged for some time now in a new quest for the historical Jesus, which takes the historicity of the gospel accounts much more seriously than in the past. And this is why deep intellectual engagement can be such a faith-building exercise. For those who are willing to look with an open mind, the fingerprints of God are everywhere. And certainly one of the most profound effects the pursuit of the life of the mind has had on me personally has been the galvanizing of my own faith. When I was a young man, I had an enthusiastic and vibrant faith, but it wasn't a tested faith. And now some 20 years later, my faith is tested. It has been tested. And I believe it is today far more secure. And over the years, I've exposed my own mind to some of the most brilliant intellects throughout history and along the way to some of the best arguments both for and against God and Christianity. And many questions have been raised in the process, and some questions remain. But many more answers have been found. And the net effect for me has been a steady gaining of confidence in the reasonableness of Christianity and of a faith that is my own. Now, of course, there is something of a danger here um, to be watchful of. When you begin to think hard about God in the world, many questions will arise in your mind that may have never disturbed you before. And this really is the inevitable result of thinking deeply about anything, uh, especially thinking deeply about the most important things in life. But the raising of questions and the confronting of doubts does not have to be detrimental to faith. In fact, just the opposite can be true. As long as you don't give up, investigating answers to your questions and pursuing your doubts into the ground can be one of the most rewarding and faith-fortifying uh, faith fortifying exercises you could possibly engage in. The historic Christian church has always maintained that faith in Christ is the beginning of the pursuit of knowledge, not its end. And this is what Augustine meant when he wrote, believe that you may understand. And it's what Anselm meant when he spoke of a faith that was seeking understanding. Faith in God should motivate a spirit of inquiry in us and a search for a deeper understanding about the nature of reality, a pursuit that can ultimately strengthen our faith as we come to see the cause in the effects, as we come to see the creator in the creation. And as Christians, we should have a hunger for the truth wherever it can be found. After all, this is God's world, and all truth 
is God's truth.